says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to their parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affections, truth breakers. Is it working? Oh, okay. I was just making sure the, the microphone was working. <clears throat> Where did I stop? Truth breakers. False accusers, incontent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. For of this sort are they which creep into the houses and lead captive silly women laden with sin, led away with diverse lusts ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now as Janus and Jambres withstood Moses, so did these also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds reprobate concerning the faith. But they shall proceed no further, for their folly shall be manifest unto all men as theirs was. But... Thou hast fully known my doctrine, my manner of life, my purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which, unto, which came unto me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, what persecutions I endured. But out of all of them, the Lord delivered me. Wow, that's a big word, ain't it? Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast assured of, knowing of whom thou learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, and for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Amen. Amen. That's a good word. I titled today, All Scripture. Look at your neighbor and tell them, All Scripture. I know there ain't a whole lot of expositional preachers that tell you to look at your neighbor and tell them anything, okay? If you don't know what expositional preachers are, that's people that deal verse by verse and give you this little teaching. I'm going to do both. I'm going to expositionally teach you and then I'm going to preach at you too. Is that okay? Can I do both? I didn't, I didn't know there was a rule book that said I couldn't do both. Okay, but I'm going to anyway. Okay, if there was a rule book that said, hey, don't do this, I'm fixing to break it. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay, good. Because it ain't in the Bible. <laughs> Amen. I want to start with uh, a quote that I read from Spurgeon. I read it last week, but I want to read it again. Because we're going to give just a little review real quick. Chapter 2, we were... At the end of chapter 2, we were talking about being gentle as we're trying to correct people, right? That he's trying to tell you that you need to correct them with gentleness. And then perhaps they may turn back and turn away from the lie and, and repent and come, come back to the truth. Amen. And then he starts chapter 3 with what we've been going over the last two weeks with people who just aren't going to listen to you. Amen. We, what we got to realize is of Christ, not just preachers, okay, not just me, but you, you need to realize not everybody's going to listen to you. Not everybody wants the truth. Not everybody wants to hear the truth, amen? And there's, but you're still going to have to continue in love to reach those who you can, and then at some point you have to realize these people don't want it, amen? And you have to be okay with the, just being the one who delivers the message 
and realize I'm not the one that saves anybody anyway. Amen? I don't save anybody. I preach and God saves. I give the word and God does the rest. Amen? I don't have, I can't affect there, there, there isn't enough uh, uh, humor in my voice. There's not enough emphaticness in the way that I can scream, even though I can scream really loud. Mike knows this. <clears throat> to make anybody change their mind because it's not going to be happening by human means anyway. The only time a, a lost and dying heart is ever awakened to the truth of God is by the Spirit of God who awakens that person. Amen. Amen. So we can we we preach the word and we be faithful in the things that we can control and everything else is in God's hands. Amen. So I want to read this to you. This is a quote from Spurgeon about our, you know, kind of what we closed with last week or about the middle of the sermon last week. It says to hold on, he said, holding to the form of godliness but denying its power. True religion is a spiritual thing, but it is necessarily it necessarily embodies itself in a form. Christian people fall into a certain outward method of procedure, a particular outward mode of uttering their faith, which becomes to true godliness what the body is to the soul. If you get both the form as molded in the word of God and the power as bestowed by the spirit of God, you do well and are living Christians. If you get the power alone without the ordained form, you somewhat maim yourself. But if you get the form without the power, then you dwell in spiritual death. The reason I wanted to quote that is because that's what we were talking about last week coming into this. And Paul now, instead of continuing the discussion about what people who are walking away from God look like, now encourages Timothy to follow God and tells him how that looks. Okay? It is. He said this is what false teachers, false believers look like, right? These men are what? Covetous, boastful, proud, heady, haughty, high-minded, truth breakers, all the stuff I just read at the beginning of this chapter, right? And then he puts a word in here that everybody ought to know, but, right? Verse 10, what's King, I'm reading the King James, it says, but, let me see what the ESV says, verse 10, you, however, okay, means the same thing as but, amen? But you don't be like that. Amen? So the purpose of the second part of this chapter is to explain to us what it looks like to follow Christ. Amen? Not just uh, what it looks like, but how to do it. And he ends with the word of God. Amen? We're going to go through this. I don't want to blow my, I don't want to put my, I don't want to put my end stamp on this at the beginning. I want to, I want to get all the way there, okay? He says, but you have fully known my doctrine. Now the ESV probably says teaching. Uh, yep. ESV says teaching. That's what doctrine means. It means teaching. Amen? You've known my teaching. Why is he saying my teaching? Because Paul was the carrier of the gospel. Amen. He presented the gospel to him, to them. Amen. His teaching was not his own. Remember, he said, this is not, it, it didn't come from me. It didn't come from man. This came from Christ. Right? It's where Paul got his gospel. Directly from the Lord. Amen. So we got to understand, Paul's not giving us his words in as much as he's the one speaking them. But he's speaking them on Christ's behalf. I got into a conversation, uh, might have been yesterday, about praying in the name of Jesus. Do you realize people who think that I can pray in the name of Jesus and get whatever I want are doing a disservice to the name of Jesus? 
Because when you're an ambassador, you don't get to go to the country and bring your own terms or your own thing, right? You're As an ambassador, you're bringing the words that you were sent with. You have to give the message that you were supposed to deliver. You don't get to just do what you want as an ambassador. You have to do what you're told. Amen. And we are the ambassadors of Christ. We've been given the ministry of reconciliation as though God were making his appeal through us. Be reconciled to God. Amen. So that's our, our job. It's not to go out here and tell them, oh, you can have a Lamborghini if you believe in Jesus. You can pray in the name of Jesus also brings a responsibility to pray in the will of Jesus. Amen. Does it not? That's why James says, is it James or John? I, can't, I always get that confused. If we pray anything in his will, we know we'll have it. Right? He says if we pray anything in his will. Why? Because I don't get to do my will as an ambassador. I have to do his will. Amen? And I didn't see Mercedes or anything else in the Bible. Okay? I'm, matter of fact, we're about to get into some stuff where he says, you know, my doctrine, my teaching. Let's keep going. My manner of life. Purpose. Faith. Long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, and what? Afflictions. What's the, what's the ESV say there in, in chapter uh, 11, Kyle? Or verse 11. Sufferings. Ooh, I like that. Affliction sounds bad, but suffering sounds worse, right? I don't know about you. Affliction just kind of sounds like, now nah, i got to go get a dictionary and figure out what this word means. You know what I mean? Suffering, we get it. Right? That's more, it's more straight down the narrow for us. Right? Affliction. Suffering. Amen? So which came to me at Antioch and Iconium. I wrote a little note here from the Reformation Study Bible uh, concerning verse, uh, verses 10 through 17. It says, the, with the problem of the false teachers fully in view, Paul once more turns to exhort Timothy to faithfulness, first in terms of example that Paul has set, and implicitly that Timothy's mother and grandmother have set, and then in terms of confidence, in and obedience to scripture. And this is what we're starting with. Amen. This is where we're starting with this conversation. Paul is making an address to Timothy. He says, but thou, or but you, in contrast from verse 10 through 17, in contrast with verse 1 through 9, the false teachers lived and taught one way, but Paul provided a totally different model for Timothy to follow. You notice Paul was making a contrast of who, who those people were with how he brought the gospel. Okay? It's the first thing. Amen? It's the first thing he's doing. He's telling Timothy, you know, what did he say? Uh, verse 10, but you know what? My doctrine, my teaching. Amen? You know how I've presented myself. How am I knowing he's talking about that? My manner of life. Amen? That's what he says, right? My purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, persecutions, and afflictions. Amen? These are the things that Christians should be doing. I should, first of all, know doctrine. Okay? Notice, this starts with doctrine... Where does my doctrine come? Where did Paul's doctrine come from? Scripture. Not out of the blue. Right? Jesus is the word of God made flesh. Jesus isn't going to come down and tell Paul some doctrine that doesn't line up with the rest of his word. Do you realize that Jesus is the one that breathed out the words, let there be light. I mean, come on. 
He was there in the beginning. Not anything was made without him. Amen. So we understand Paul, when he got this, Paul did the same thing the Bereans did. He knew the scriptures, went back to the scriptures, and taught the scripture. Amen. Jesus saves. That was his mission. Amen. Our job is to preach that. We must know the doctrine of the Bible. Amen. We must. I don't know how anybody can be a student or a follower of Christ without being a student of Scripture. This doesn't make any sense. I seen a post this morning from a friend of mine. He said, uh, 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 he shared a post from James White. And James White said, every Christian should be a theologian. Do you know what theology is? The study of God. The study of this book. Study of God. That's theology. Every Christian ought to be doing that. This isn't. Nobody should be going. Hey, you know, yeah, what? You know, uh, if I ask you a question about, you know, why do you believe in Jesus? You need to be able to have a reasonable answer for the question. Amen. Oh, I just know what He did for me. That's good. But I want to know scripturally why you believe that. Amen. That's part of believing. It's part of following. Amen? Paul makes it clear all throughout the New Testament. Amen? I want to read to you another, uh, another quick verse. Uh, the ESV study Bible says this. It says, The paragraph opens with a clear and strong contrast. You, however, the false teachers lived and teach one way verse 1 through 9 but Paul provides a totally different model for Timothy the, uh, the reputation of my in verse 10 and 11 places clear emphasis on Paul as the model for faithful living and ministry in contrast with those who proposed by uh, those examples proposed by the opponents amen Paul saying, follow my example. Amen. Why? Because he said later on, another, I can't remember what chapter, what, uh, what book he says it in. He said, follow me as I follow Christ. Remember that? Remember that? He said, follow me as I follow Christ. And he said, I'm trying my level best to do everything the right way. Amen. Every Christian ought to be having the same mentality. Like I said, look. I love you, and if you were like me for the last, you know, you know, up till two or three years ago, was a fly by the seat of my pants Christian, okay, I get it, with, oh, no, but it's just me and God, except it doesn't work very good that way, <laughs> except, I'll, I'll try to stay in, inside the pulpit, I'm sorry, it doesn't work very good that way, does it? How many of you have been where I was, the whole fly by the seat of your pants Christianity? I was there, okay? I understand that it feels really free to not ever answer to anybody. But it also, once you start learning, you realize how ignorant you were. <laughs> and when I started learning, I realized truly how much I didn't know and how I had barely scratched the surface of my Christian life, of actually living a life that's going to glorify God. Amen? And it's not a bad thing. You know, I, I, I had this conversation last night. We were uh, doing a podcast with a friend of ours, and I had this conversation. I said, but when I first started preaching, I didn't really see the need for all the rules and the regulations that different churches have, and I didn't see why that had to be this way and that had to be that way, but the, the more I, the longer I pastored, Consistently, and the longer I've seen people walk in and out of church, lack of structure does that. Lack of of, of expectations does that. Lack of uh, of teaching and and training and correcting and, and instruction does that. Because people aren't grounded. They're not given an example. They're not given the instructions they need. Now, now, boundaries aren't set. See what I mean? Boundaries aren't a bad thing. 
having people come to church and say, hey, if you're going to be a member of our church, here's some expectations, that's not a bad thing. Amen? Now, let me ask you a question. Do you go to work and get to do what you want? No, there's expectations, right? Your boss has expectations. We all have expectations. We realize God has expectations of a believer, okay? And people who are going to join together in a local body called a church should be some expectations. Amen? But I, I've gotten to that conversation because I think we are lacking, and I don't say we like me, but or, or you, I'm saying we in general, Christianity nowadays lacks a lot of structure. Lacks a lot of, of understanding of actual, no, this is what the Bible teaches. It's not all this, you know, uh, other stuff. I'm going to be nice. I'm going to be as nice as I can right now. <clears throat> Verse 11. I like what the uh, King James Study Bible says there. It says, when looking for examples of his suffering, Paul refers to his earliest missions work to the cities he visited on his first missionary journey. Some have questioned why he would refer so far back, especially since this would have been before Timothy joined him. But Lystra was Timothy's hometown, so he was probably well aware of what happened to Paul when he came there. In effect, Paul is saying, Timothy, you have known from your earliest awareness of me the suffering or that suffering is part of preaching the gospel. Amen. Amen. You don't really think about that when you hear him saying this, but then when you think back to, yeah, Timothy was from Lystra and Lystra was the first one, of the first cities Paul went to on his first missionary journey. So when he went there and suffered persecution, Timothy's grandmother, Timothy's mother probably heard about it, probably told Timothy when Timothy became a believer, right? Let's, let's talk, I mean, can we talk about stuff, right? You don't just go home and sit and stare at each other, do you? I mean, I don't know, Mike might, I don't know, they're pretty quiet people. They might just go home and look at each other and do ESPN back and forth. You know, they don't have to talk or nothing. But we talk to each other, right? We, we tell stories. We tell, oh, man, did you see what happened to that pastor? Did you see what happened to that Christian? And, and if you're under lots of persecution like that, you're going to really have intimate conversations about that stuff. Amen? I know just like we did this morning. What did we do this morning? We talked about who needed prayer. We talked about what happened with Brad. What happened, you know, his, Emmett had some uh, seizures and stuff, right? We talked about that stuff. I'm sure Timothy heard Paul suffered for preaching when he came here to Lystra, right? So it makes sense when you hear Paul saying, you know the sufferings that I endured at Iconia and Lystra, right? Because Paul, at this point, Timothy's already been Paul's protege now, right? He's been his protege so much that Paul has set him over the church in Ephesus, right? So I'm assuming there's a relationship built there where they've talked about all those things, right? It's not just something Paul's bringing up out of the blue. It's a conversation that he's having with somebody who already knows the things that he's talking about, right? That's why he doesn't explain it any further. That'd be like me writing a letter to Carmen about, you know, groceries or something at home. I'm not going to elaborate. I'm just going to say, hey, you remember we were supposed to do this and this. I'm not going to elaborate on it. She knows what I'm talking about, right? That's why he didn't elaborate any farther on that. Timothy knew what he was talking about. Amen? Alright. I got a, I got a couple more notes. <laughs> uh, from all of them, the Lord rescued me. This does not mean God kept Paul from experiencing harm in these instances. Let's preach that for a minute. It said he delivered him from them. Didn't say he didn't suffer. Didn't say he didn't have to go to prison or get stoned or any. Come on, let's be real. Because what we hear when we hear, he delivered me from them all. Oh, that means I don't have to go through them. No, he's already in there. I got delivered from it, not out of it. Or, you know, I didn't get delivered from going through it. I got delivered out of it. Amen. 
I was already in prison. Then I got set free. I was already being persecuted. Then, you know, they finally let me go and I could leave. Right? Let's just talk real talk. How did Paul escape the very first place that he was at? Me and Greg talked about this. Got let down a wall outside the city, right? Because they were going to stone him to death. Amen? I bet he had to stay away from there for a little while. Come on. Hey, don't show your face around here for a while, right? Or I'm going to come incognito with a hood on or something, you know? We, gotta, we, we get the idea when we read this, that one part, that he delivered me from a ball. We all of a sudden get real super spiritual. Oh, that means he didn't have to go through them. No, he did go through them. Or he wouldn't have called it persecution. He wouldn't have called it affliction or suffering. Amen. He would have just said, oh, you know, they almost got me, but... That's not what he said, though, is it? <laughs> we got to go in there. It's just like you. You went through that thing. But God. He didn't stop you from going through it. He saved you out of there. But God. You still had to go through it. Amen? I know me in my own life, I've went through some stuff that I'd rather not have went through. But God allowed it anyway. So I have to understand that God wanted me to learn something in the middle of that. Amen? Amen. That's why you embrace the things that are going on. Amen? Amen. Alright, let's keep going. I don't want to get lost. <clears throat> I, think it's, I think it's great how Paul starts making this contrast. Uh, suffering, verse 11, suffering is in the job description. That's what I put it. Suffering is in the job description. Amen. Amen. He doesn't let us off. He says, you know that these persecutions I suffered. And he says, what persecutions I endured. Notice he didn't say, I almost endured. Or I was just about to endure. He said he had to go through the persecutions. Amen. Amen. He said, I endured. But out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Amen. Amen. That's why we got to remember, weeping might endure for a night. Didn't say you wasn't going to weep. He said it might endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Amen. So what we got to understand is this too shall pass. Amen. Good, bad, or indifferent, God's got a plan, and he's going to march you right through whatever comes along. Amen. That's what's called trusting. Why would it be called trusting the Lord if, if I never had to trust Him? Amen? If it's all sunshine and rainbows and fat naked angel babies on clouds and playing harps singing kumbaya, it's not always that way. Well, here's the thing. We always, we, how many of y'all want revival in America? Come on, come on. Everybody, okay. I know better. I know everybody wants revival, okay? The problem is the church never grows in good times. The church flourishes in persecution. Look where we're at. America supposed to be the land of opportunity. The church is shrinking and shrinking and shrinking and shrinking. Why? Because we're complacent. We're, we're like that. We're like the Laodiceans. We're fat and sleek and think we have need of nothing. We don't realize that we're naked and blind and wretched and naked. Come on, right? But the church in Africa or the church in Asia or the church in Iran where it's illegal to be a Christian, where you can get put in jail or be killed for being a Christian, the church is exploding exploding why persecution is necessary to show you how important it is to be faithful how important it is to do all the look if we go back here Sydney, you know my doctrine my life my purpose my faith my long suffering charity patience you're not going to have any of that without persecution or struggle and strike the things you have to believe God in the midst of. Amen? It's easy to say I follow Christ when nobody's pulling the trigger. 
It's easy to say I believe in Christ here in America where there's not really a danger. But we also suffer from, you realize that the people that could be in this building today that are not here, and I said the people that could be, it's the other people who can't be, I get it. But the people that could be in this building right now are taking the fact that they could be here for granted because there's people in China and in Iran who met seven hours ago in a dark underground could have been shot or jailed just to go to church but they went anyway and you want me to believe you're dedicated I know that preaches hard I know that preaches hard I know that's like pastor why are you throwing it we're here Yes, and I'm glad you're here. Amen? I'm just telling you, we get a false idea of what faithfulness looks like. Amen? We get a false idea of what long-suffering or charity or patience or any of that looks like when we always got it easy. Amen? Paul's trying to say persecution is going to be part of living for Christ. Amen? So my challenge to you is, no, we're not going to get shot at here yet. No, we're not being jailed here yet. My question is, why aren't we talking to the guy in the grocery store right now? Why aren't we witnessing to the people, you know, at the ball game right now? Why aren't we witnessing to those friends of ours who don't know Christ when they come over to our houses for dinner? Why aren't we doing it now when it's perfectly legal and okay to do it? Stop acting like we have to wait for this and do it right now. Amen? Because I'm telling you, we don't have the same sense of urgency in this country for being together as those Christians in other countries who are meeting even though their life is at stake. Amen? Paul's encouraging him that suffering is part of this. Verse 12, those who want to follow Christ must deny their self and take up their cross and follow him. What, is that, what does that have to do with it? Verse 12 says, you, uh, yea, and all who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Why would you be, why would you suffer for living godly? Anybody got an idea what it means to suffer for living godly? A lot of people stop talking to you. trying to tell you guys not to take for granted being able to meet together, being able to do these things without persecution because we very seriously could be facing persecution Amen. very shortly. Yeah, without grumbling, without complaining. You know, it's not suffering if you're over there complaining about it. Okay, you just, well, I don't know why I gotta do this. No, you do know why you gotta do this. We're doing it to glorify Christ. We're doing it to glorify God. We're enduring it to glorify Him. Amen? So when you start going, I don't know why, then just think about Jesus on the cross. Do you think Jesus was on the cross going, Oh, I don't know why i got to do this for these people. They sure don't deserve me to do this for them. Just 
think about that, that we'd have probably gave up at the whipping post, right? About the time they said, hey, we're going to flog him. They'd be like, no, I'm not the guy. Right? Modern Christianity right there. Jesus wasn't on the cross thinking that. He wasn't going, oh, Lord, I don't know why I'm doing this. He knew exactly why he was doing it. He was intentional in what he was doing. We need to be intentionally living for him. That's what Paul's trying to get at. What do, you, what do you think uh, perseverance is? What do you think faithfulness is? Faithfulness isn't some mystical gift that you get from the God. Be faithful. It's enduring. It's, it's, it's going even when you don't feel like going. It's getting up and preaching on Sunday morning, no matter if there's five people or 50 people or 100 people. And it's, it's going to the store and talking about Jesus with somebody even when all you want to do is to go in there and get your stuff and get out and get home and relax and rest and go to sleep. Understand. Corbin and I understand. Busy lives and all that. Amen? But we need to learn that faithfulness isn't this mystical gift. It's a part of being a Christian. And it's just like any other thing. You have to put practice to it. It's not just going to happen by osmosis. You have to intentionally decide to do things. Amen? intentionally decide to do them. Amen? Alright, I'm going to keep going before I get lost right there. I don't know how long we got. What time is it? Okay, I got time. Those, verse 13, those doing the deceiving are themselves deceived. Did you notice that? Those who are deceiving are also deceived. This is a question I've been wrestling with with all these people that are preaching the prosperity gospel. I'm like, why are they doing this? Why can't they see the error of their way? Because they're deceived. Do you realize that the love of money is going to blind people? Understand? Yeah. They are deceived. They believe They've got it right. Even though clearly it's error to us. Understand? They firmly believe what they're saying. Why? Because they're deceived. And it's going to get worse and worse. Notice. I don't know if y'all realize this, okay? But if we started preaching the same things, I could probably fill this place up. I'm a real charismatic kind of guy. I could get all kind of. I'll promise them they're going to get their, you know, house paid off and their land paid off, and they're going to get this blessing and that blessing and this other thing. I bet we could fill this whole room up. But the reality is, I can't make those promises. Those promises are not made in Scripture for people. To have everything they ever wanted. It's not biblical. Yet Paul lived in jail for five years of his life preaching the gospel. Do you realize that every letter we have from Paul was written from one prison or another? Because when he was out on the road, he didn't write letters. He preached the gospel. He wrote letters when he got sent to prison and couldn't go and do anything else. He still preached the gospel. Faithfulness. Amen? Those people who are preaching these things are themselves deceived. Amen? I want to go back just, uh, just for a little. Back to verse 12. It says, suffering is an expectation in Christian living. The actual persecution may be less when there has been more Christian influence on the laws and cultural values of a society, but the unbelieving world will always remain deeply hostile to the gospel. They don't want the gospel preached. That's why... There's a guy, I don't know if you have ever saw him on Facebook or anything. His, uh, his name is David. He pastors a church 
And he has a ministry called Christ Forgiveness Ministries. And he goes out and preaches on the street corners in Canada, all over Canada, all over the United States, Europe. And he gets cussed at, spit at, slapped at. All kinds of stuff. You know why? Because people don't want the gospel. Why? Because men love darkness. Amen? Those was Jesus' own words. Men love darkness. Now watch this. Verse 14, Paul continues his diatribe about himself teaching Timothy. He says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned, and have been assured of knowing of whom you have learned them. Now who is he talking about? Some people make speculation that uh, he's talking about just himself. But I think it has to be his example that he gave in verse 10. And then the example that he gives in verse uh, 15. He says they that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise, wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now what we do know about Timothy is his dad was a Greek. So his dad wouldn't be teaching him the holy scriptures, right? And we already know that in 1 Timothy, Paul mentions his mother and his grandmother, how they brought him up in the same faith, correct? So we know Timothy is probably being given two examples. Paul and then his grandmother and his mother. Amen? But he says, you have known, continue in the things which you learned and hast assured of, knowing whom you have learned them from. Timothy is probably being referred to his mother and grandmother and also Paul himself. Amen? Uh, not just anyone. I put this in my notes. Don't follow just anyone. Don't follow just anyone's teaching. Don't follow just anyone's doctrine. Notice Paul gives the example of his relationship with Timothy being his father in the faith, so to speak. Amen? Not just that, but we also understand that Paul was an apostle and Timothy was a pastor. So we're talking about a succession of power there, understanding of authority. Amen? So Paul's talking to him in that way and then he's giving an example of his mother and his grandmother whom he knows and he knows their faith, what they believe, how they believe, their lifestyle. See, it isn't just what people say that you need to know. You need to know how they live, how they behave. Are they the same person at church as they are at, at home? Are they the same person at home that they are at church? Amen? And if you spend any time around me, you know, I'm the same guy here as I am at home. <laughs> I'm just as weird there. <laughs> Amen? Not just anyone. Don't follow just anyone, but truly godly examples. Proven. Proven godly examples. People who you know what they believe, how they live, their faith, their doctrine, their whole... That's do you realize that's how we're supposed to vet pastors in the church? That's how we're supposed to vet leaders in the church. A pastor that goes to a church and just automatically becomes the pastor of, of that church within a week, there's, there's, a, there's a problem in that they don't know that man. They don't know his life or his teaching or anything. That's why a lot of churches do what they call... Uh, Oh my goodness, I was one for almost a year and a half and I can't think of it right now. Uh, interim pastor, okay? They, it gives the time for the church to get to know them. You know what I mean? It gives the church time to know if this is the person that they want behind the pulpit in leadership. Amen? That's not a bad thing. Amen? I think we need to take very seriously when... Uh, Paul instructs Timothy on elders how that you must know their manner of life. 
you must know how they keep their home. Do you notice the list of elders' qualities are things that you're not going to be able to know about somebody immediately? Amen? Other than the husband of one wife, obviously you're going to be able to know that pretty quick, you know? But the other qualities of an elder, let's just go look at it real quick because I want to show you what I'm talking about, okay? An elder, it's uh, chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. It gives you this. It says, um, yeah, right here. This saying is true and trustworthy. If a man desires the office of a bishop, he desires a good thing. A bishop then must be blameless. How are you going to know that? You're going to know that right away, are you? You're going to have to know this guy, right? Bishop must be blameless, the husband of one wife. You pretty much know that right at the beginning. I mean, vigilant, sober, of good behavior, given to hospitality, apt to teach, not given to wine, not a striker, not greedy, a filter to occur, but patient, not a brawler, not covetous, one that ruleth over his own household well. Amen. Having his children in subjection with all gravity. For if a man know not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the house of God? Not a novice, lest he be lifted up with pride and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must have a good report of those who went without, lest he fall into reproach in the snare of the devil. You see how a lot of those things are things that you're not going to know about somebody immediately. So when Paul says you know my teaching. You know my suffering. My lifestyle. My faith. My, you see what I'm saying? These are all things that Timothy would know. Because he had spent time with Paul. Amen. Amen. And I'm telling you. Unless you honestly know things about someone, you probably shouldn't be following them. Amen? Follow the one who you're with. Amen? Follow Christ. Follow the Word of God. Follow the pastor or the elders or the leaders at your church. Don't just run after everyone else. That's what he's telling him. Amen? He's warning him. Don't do that. Amen? Now let's continue. I'm almost done. <laughs> well, that was quick. He said, he tells him in verse 15, you know, you've known these things, the scriptures from a child that are make, able to make you wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. He's, and he obviously learned that from his mother, right? Who taught him the scriptures from when he was a child? Not his father. His father was a Greek. Didn't believe. Amen. So his mother taught him. His grandmother taught him. Amen? And then Paul ends up where he begins. He said, first thing he said, what? Teaching. Right? That's the very first thing he said, verse 10. Right? Uh, am, I, am I mistaken? Let me go back and look. But thou hast fully known my teaching or doctrine. Amen? And he ends with this. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. And is profitable for doctrine. For what? Teaching. Doctrine. Teaching, right? Reproof. Correction. And instruction in righteousness. That the man of God may be perfect. Thoroughly furnished. For every good work. I thought so long and hard about this. We need to be thoroughly furnished in presenting the gospel to people. And I have conversations with people all the time. They're like, well, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to do Do you know why you don't know how to do that? Because you're not reading the Bible to tell you the things that you need to know to be able to present the gospel. Amen. If you don't remember anything about what the gospel is, remember 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1 through 4. I mean, that is the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture, was dead, buried, and rose from the dead according to the scriptures. That's the gospel. Amen. That's the simplest form that you can write it in. But we need to become students of the scriptures. Amen. Not just passers-by, not just fly by the seat of my pants. And I don't mean it this way in that 
How many of you read your Bible all the time? I know there's a whole bunch of people that read their Bible all the time, okay? Do you read your Bible once a week? Anybody that reads their Bible once a week, hold their hand up. At least, right? At least once a week. Anybody that reads your Bible at least once a week, right? Now, everybody hold your, put your hand back now. We all read the Bible at least once a week, okay? Everybody that held their hand up. And I'm telling you, that even though I've read the Bible once a week for 20 whatever years of being a Christian, okay, the reality is I haven't made an in-depth attempt to read the Bible consistently, thoroughly, and to know all the things that I can about the Bible until the last few years, okay? And I'm being honest when I say this. Even as I was preaching to I pastored a whole other church before this one, okay? Two other churches. And I'm telling you, I did not become a student of the Bible until a few years ago. And once you do that and realize the depths of the riches that are in Scripture, you realize you didn't realize what you were missing until you do it. Amen? Now, it makes it clear here that scripture is good for at least four things, right? It says all scripture is God-breathed, right? What does that mean? Does the ESV say God-breathed? What does the ESV say? The NIV says God-breathed, right? Breathed out by God. The King James says all scripture is given by inspiration of God. That word inspiration is the the term that would be called breathed out. Okay? That's what that word means. It means breathed out. Amen? So God breathed out the scriptures and they are useful for teaching. Amen? First thing, teaching. I'm going to pull my NIV down here because they, I think they use a different word at the beginning and a different word at the end because the, the King James uses doctrine. Okay? King James says doctrine. NIV, or the ESV says teaching. Now they both use reproof and they both use correction, right? And then it says training in righteousness in the ESV instead of uh, instruction, okay? So let's disseminate the few words that are different from the King James to the ESV. Number one, doctrine, teaching. Amen? Most of us understand what teaching is. This is what we're going to be taught about who God is, about who Jesus is, about God's expectation of believers, all that stuff, right? Now watch this. Reproof. Reproof is going to correct false ideas about what Scripture means. Amen? Reproof corrects false ideas about what Scripture teaches. Notice that I'm not reproving with opinion. I'm reproving with Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for teaching. My teaching must line up with Scripture or I will have to be reproved. That's the next verse, the next word, right? And then I'll have to correct it and get my idea of what God's doing in line with what Scripture says. Remember, we're talking about Scripture, not my opinion, not your opinion, not, you know, sister, brother, so-and-so, apostle, prophet, priest, so-and-so. Scripture. Amen? And then finally, instruction in righteousness. Amen? So the Word of God helps us, first of all, to know what right teaching is. It reproves wrong teaching in us. It corrects that and reshapes our thoughts towards that, back to Scripture. And then it instructs us how to go out and live our life for Christ. Amen? Are you seeing that? There's a reason he put all four of those words one right after another, okay? That wasn't happenstance. 
It happened on purpose. He done it purposefully to show us what we need to do. Amen. Now, how many of you want to be thoroughly furnished, ready for every good work? Do you realize how it says you'll be ready for that? Study. Study. Scripture. All Scripture is God-breathed and useful for training. You know, uh, 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 yeah, now I messed it all up. Teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Amen? That, so that the man or woman of God may be thoroughly furnished for every good work. Why ain't I thoroughly furnished for every good work? Maybe I need to do a little more of this. Amen. But actually, you have to open it and use your eyeballs. Not just stand up here and do this. Okay. You might get muscles like Ruth if you start doing that. <laughs> but I, I, I find that why can't Christians have these deep conversations? It's because we're only surface level. You know what I mean? We're just... We're just taking the surface level stuff and we don't want to dig in. We don't want to really bear, bear down and get into the hard teaching of Scripture. Amen. It's not all easy, okay? When you realize that, that uh, there's things in Scripture that totally go against with how you feel, felt when you got saved. Well, because here's the thing. Most of us, our, our testimony goes something like this. When I found God. I remember me saying those words. I remember people in this church saying those words. When I found God. Well, God wasn't lost. Right? That's just our perspective that we found God. We didn't even realize. We didn't even realize when it happened that God found me first. Amen? Amen? The only reason I went, yes, Lord, is because God found me. Amen. Amen? Amen? We don't know how to even articulate that. Matter of fact, some people get really mad when you tell them, no, you didn't find God, he found you. Oh, no. No, I came to God on my terms. No, no, you didn't. God found you every time. Well, that's human nature. Isn't that what we talked about? Uh, what, I, I forget it was Sunday night, Sunday night or Wednesday night. I said I said that uh, it's human nature to run away from God. Adam and Eve, when they fell in the garden, the first thing they did when they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the midst of the garden, what they do? They ran and hid. Fallen man, that's his nature. I'm going to run and hide because I know I'm messed up. Amen? Fallen man is going to do that. They love darkness. They're all right being lost. Right? That's why they can spit on our faces and persecute us and all that stuff and still not get it. Amen? Because they're lost. There but for the grace of God go I. Amen? So as we finish this chapter, what I really wanted to get to was our need to be faithful students of the Word of God. Amen? Not just surface level either. I mean really digging in to what the Bible's talking about, what this doctrine means, what that doctrine means, what this thing means. Why, what, is, what is, you know, salvation? What is, uh, how does that work? How does grace get imputed to me on, and my sin get imputed to Christ? How does that work? Right? We should be able to explain those things. Amen? Not that we all have to be PhDs, but we ought to be able to at least have a conversation about what we believe. Amen? And we ought to be able to share with those who are outside the church why we believe what we believe. Amen? Let's stand. Father God, I thank you for this message, Lord. I know that this morning wasn't a great jumping up and down sermon like some of the others that we have had the privilege of preaching in this pulpit, Lord. But I thank you, Lord, for being faithful in your word to instruct us. Lord, to reprove us and to correct us and to instruct us into what righteousness 
and what rightly following Christ looks like. Lord, I pray that you would help each and every one of us understand the depths and the riches that are in your word, Lord. And help us to become students of your word, Lord. That we, not, that we might not only be able to help ourselves, but others understand as well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.